This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, and welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm a Christian freelance writer, mom of two littles, and I'm passionate about helping you live out your best and deepest faith in everyday life. On this podcast, you'll hear from inspiring women, moms, and ministry leaders, authors, and more. Those on mission for God with a message to inspire you in your Christian walk, wherever that may be. Each month, I send out interviews, tips, book reviews, and exclusive giveaways to my email list. If you'd like to receive these things, just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, and sign up. My new book, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women, comes out this January, and I want you to be the first to know all the details. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and today I'm talking with Paige Ryan. She is the author of Revived and Renovated Conversations on the Intersection of Home faith, and everything in between. Thank you so much for joining me today, Paige. Oh my goodness, Erica. What a pleasure and a joy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that we finally made this happen. I know we were messaging back and forth for a really long time. And I'm like the worst sometimes at getting back on my um, my podcast Instagram. I just don't check it that much. And I was like, oh, I forgot. And so anyway, I'm so glad that we finally made it happen. And um, you know, I've just enjoyed looking at your book and sort of looking at some of your history. And so tell us a little bit about yourself. And then before we dig into some of the the good stuff, the chunky stuff, tell us, I want to hear a little bit about the HGTV experience that you had. Sure. Well, it certainly was formative. Um, I My career has been funny where I kind of started on HGTV and, and I've had a love of design at home forever. I mean, I was a child that actually loved furniture and wallpaper and color and stuff like that. But as I kind of came up in the world and began my career, I actually wanted to be an actor first. And my agent was like, this is not happening. But my husband and I had been, we flipped houses before anybody did that, before that was a thing. And and we bought like the only house we could afford, which was a dump and had termites and everything and, and, and redid it and loved the process. He fixes everything. And at that point, I just sort of like had the sort of the aesthetics in mind. And then so I, I got a couple jobs on, on HGTV, some pilots here and there. And then I got hired for Hidden Potential. And um was on the show for five seasons and it was actually pretty incredible. Um, it was the, the the dawn of the era of home shows. Um, the only, I think there were only a couple of home shows, like Trading Spaces was the only one before that, that really took hold. And it was just a fascinating, fascinating, informative experience for me, even creatively, because the format of the show was that I'd be introduced to a family. And then on the day, I would be told, you need to re- remake these homes for a family. You never get to meet them. And then on the day we shoot the show, you're going to like... <laughs> Show them what you design. So I'm like, no, doesn't work for me at yeah, all. That'd be hard. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm kind of launching into the nitty gritty here, but that really formed my ideas that the home is about the homeowner and their story. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of had to lie to my producer and 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 get the phone number behind behind their behind his back. But I would start interviewing these families, and I just craved. I think that intimacy with them helped me do the work. And I don't know another way to do design work. Um, yeah, that makes. I mean, that makes so much sense. I mean, I've heard like people like people that do cakes or um other work like that like they take so much personally when they're creating it they they're making it for a specific person it's not just a cake it's a really specific 
piece of art for a specific person or event. And so um, that makes a lot of sense to me um, I, as a writer. I'm, I'm a creative in that way. Sure. Um, so that's really cool. So yeah, I was going to say that seems like that was the kind of the the very beginning of the home show, like yeah. extraordinaire. Um, I am sure you probably met lots of people and sort of kind of bumped up there and name ID. How was that? Was it sort of like, did you feel like you were kind of getting famous in a way? You know, it's funny. I, I, um, sort of in my brokenness, I wanted to be just a rich, famous designer. That was mm. really, and I feel like the Lord actually wanted more and different for me. Uh, and I'm so glad. I mean, in some ways, my walk of faith is just recognizing that I never know what's best for me on repeat, but I really, I wanted fame. I wanted wealth. I wanted all that stuff. And um, I feel like I had a glimpse of the TV world is a really hard world. It's, it's nobody's married. Nobody has kids. And so there, there's that like would a, be hard. Yes, it's challenging. I mean, I joined a games and chip, but they they weren't here yet. And, I, and, you know, I was married and I didn't have any children, but it, that was a novel thing. And then I had a baby in my contract and my, so my son's almost 15, so this is 15 years ago. And it was like, I was like, a, I was like a zoo animal. Like I was just oh so bizarre gosh, to be pregnant so and then be nursing and all this kind of stuff it was very unique. So, and again, I, they didn't let me talk enough, Erica. And I, I hope that you don't walk away from this thinking you need an editor, but I, I felt like I never got to get these long form conversations about the home uh. and they just wanted these little sound bites, like blow this wall out and this, you know, and we wanted to kind of make almost every project almost the same in terms of the language and the process and what people wanted. And I just think our homes are way more unique and special than that. And they deserve sort of more nuance. Yeah. So you're like, you're thinking like, you're probably not like a ultimately best at the TV thing. You're probably best, you know, at the, in these individual spaces where you can actually have long conversations with people and you can actually, you know, do the art the way that you want to do it. Well, yeah. I mean, if people ask me all the time, do you want to get back to TV? I mean, I, I like to talk. I, 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 I sort of like, you know, if you follow me on Instagram, I have a lot to say about this matter. I don't think I'll ever stop talking about it. But I think it 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 does deserve a lot more sort of sensitivity. And like, it's really about mining your story and sort of what you want to express, not to mention fully um, serving our purpose and our vocation in our homes. And so much of that, there's not t time on TV for that. And it's hard to find a sponsor to like, talk about <laughs> vocation and purpose, you know, yeah. what, what advertisers are really supporting that messaging, not much. Um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it like, you know, I, I, I think that this, my hope, I don't really watch the network anymore, probably because of my ego, but I think that I think of anything in, at home, we need a little bit more nuance. Like I, I wrote a book before I arrived and renovated and it was in my mind. And I think this is true. The first home book without any photos, because I think we have to take a step back from all the visuals, all the photos, all the inspiration and actually go inward. Um, and so that, I don't think that makes a great TV show, but, but I think well, it's true, but I think it's I true. mean, but it does make a good book and it, you know, potentially good podcast. So, you know, they are different mediums, but, um, so it, it's interesting that you t say that you wanted the fame and the wealth and all of that, because oh, yeah. I feel like a lot of times I'll talk to people and they'll say like uh, authors usually and they say, Oh, I wasn't expecting this at all. It was all God, you know? And, um, I don't always identify with that because I I can kind of understand the the idea of like well but I'm doing this for a reason like I'm trying like it's not like I'm you know a passenger on this journey like I'm actually taking action to make this happen and so um how has God how did God sort of like get you out of that mentality of wanting that and then finding peace in a life without it so God has always <laughs> inserted himself sometimes without my seeking, and this is, I, I do feel it's truly best without my seeking him, knowing him. And again, even looking for him, but I feel like I've, I've been very blessed. I was just 
pondering this this morning as I dropped my 15 year old off at the subway to go to high school that um, I did not think we could have children. And so when I got pregnant, it was an utter shock. Um, didn't think I could have children long, didn't, didn't have been menstruate for four years and have a long history of uh, totally abusing my body. So I just figured that was the result of that and so on and so forth. But when I had him, uh, TV network was not happy and my career was not going <laughs> to continue if, you know, and I mean, I was a very large pregnant person. I'm six one. And so already they were doing so many times, so many things to minimize my size when every other man, every, every man would like look small next to me. And, you know, anyway, oh. so that was already complicated for the producers. Um, a lot of Apple boxes. But I think when I had my son, it was a time to kind of, I was almost like a slap in the face of what do I really want from my life? And I wanted him. Mm. <laughs> I wanted him. Um, and then I wanted another. And so I feel like I, uh, I just, it shifted focus about what I really want in my life and what I want out of my days. And um, I do did realize that like family life and TV was a really tough combination. I, I suck it out for a little bit. Um, I probably worked in and out of pilots and little projects in here until I had my third son. But there's, it's, you can't really have a sick day when you've got 50 people coming to set, you know? And my first son also, God bless him, he was a surprise. And then he was a sick toddler. We were in mm. hospital and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, praise God, miraculously, he grew out of his issues. But that was also like, I feel like God pulled me out of that work. You have to be in the ER with this child. Everything right. else has to go. That's yeah. it. It's very clarifying. And I've yeah. talked about this with other parents of children with different illnesses, whether they're long-term or it, it clarifies everything. I can't imagine. So you didn't think you could have any kids and now you have three? I have four. Oh, you have four. Oh my gosh. Are they all boys? I have three sons and a daughter. Okay. So the daughter is the youngest? Yes, she is. Oh my goodness. So how old are they? So my baby is eight and um, I have a 10-year-old son, a 12-year-old son, and a 14-year-old son. Wow. That's amazing. A lot of order, which nothing in my life has order except for that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Well, four kids also in in life is not very, is a little chaotic, but I have two, but um, so I'm only halfway there. Um, But uh, well, that's really interesting. So where along this journey, I know that you um, converted to Catholicism at some point. So kind of give me the backstory on your faith life and conversion to Catholicism. Oh, it's gosh, it's long. I'm going to try to make it too long winded. But um, I I came into recovery uh, pretty young. I was 22, and I and actually we didn't. <laughs> yeah, I haven't mentioned that before, but I I, I met God in recovery rooms. Okay, recovery That's rooms. How I you had an Lord. eating disorder, and then you um, dealt with alcohol. Um, but we're going to get into that too. But go ahead with the faith story, and then I'll ask about that. Right. So that I was just a hot mess, and that's where God met me. And um, so I had no faith before that. I was pretty much raised in a secular way. My parents, I think faith had kind of fallen out of our family life in previous generations. And I think they wanted the best for me. And the, what they thought was the best for me was was high achievement and really going for it. And so I, I joke around that, like, I really went for it. I got a scholarship to play basketball at an Ivy League school. On paper, everything looked amazing. And within three months, I was in three rep- recovery programs. So oh my gosh. It kind of crumbled. Um, and, you know, I think for some other kids, it could have worked out very differently. But for me, that's just how it worked out. And then in recovery, it took me a long time. I just felt at some point, maybe 10 years into recovery, that that the Lord was revealing himself. And, and there's many things I could share with you about just how I just felt called. I was not at all looking for Jesus. I wasn't interested. To me, that my recovery, uh, the spiritual recovery was but a power greater than myself. And that was enough for a very long time until it just wasn't, until I just felt called and led. And then I also learned in recovery that you are sort of drawn to people who, who have what you want spiritually and emotionally. 
And I was more and more drawn to these people spiritually, emotionally that had a deep and profound Christian faith. And I'm like, shoot, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wasn't drawn to that because like, like all I signs point to this. <laughs> yes. Yes. All signs. And there were just a couple of just really extraordinary examples um, of just sort of the Lord revealing himself and, and, and in in the Catholic Church. And again, I, I never would have thought that because I'll actually just be honest, I, I hated the Catholic Church. I hated all church, but I really hated the Catholic Church. I had a lot of um, even political leanings that just didn't mesh. And I really struggled with that. Um, but I feel like one by one, the Lord just softened me. And also, in because of my recovery, I'm very open how much I hunger for the Lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> my gosh. That's why I was hungering to be famous. That's why I binge on junk food and binge right. on alcohol when I wasn't binging on junk food. It was a deep and profound hunger for the Lord that I I still feel today very deeply. Wow, that's really cool. And so that was what, 20 something years ago? 25 years ago. Wow. I started. I started 25 years. I came into the Catholic Church <coughs> less than five years ago. It's like before Oh, COVID. okay. I got gotcha. you. So what made you go towards the Catholic Church after that time? So in recovery, um, for me, one of the most, um, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them that comes up, like the thing that pops up first when people ask me this is that there's, um, in, in the recovery program, there's, there's a process of, um, inventory making and then, um, amends making. And I saw a real parallel in the Catholic church, uh, in the sacrament of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And in general, like being a Catholic is hard work, <laughs> meaning like Catholics love to like, there's a lot of stuff. And in recovery, I feel like I like to have thing. I like assignments. Like I, it became right. a thing where I'm like, I need, I got work to do. And I, I actually think in, in all of Christianity, but even the Catholic church, we don't talk about that enough. Like we have to work on ourselves. Agreed. And if we have discomforts, resentments, relationships that suck a little bit, we've got to turn the mirror in. There. And the scripture says that over and over again, that we have right. to look and see what work do we have to do. And I still have so much work to do. And now I think I'm, I'm old enough in the program. I'm about 25 years old <laughs> and, <laughs> and God speak. I now, when I have strife and struggles in relationships, I'm like, all right, you know, where, what's my work? Um, no, I, I agree with change. you. Like, I agree with you. I think it's, so you can think about something and I guess it also depends on your personality type, the kind of person that you are. But for me, I, I, you know, in those moments where I need to fix something, it's like, I can't just think about it. I have to write it down. I need to, you know, have a plan on how I'm going to tackle this. And, um, I think that we, I think that is one reason a lot of people are drawn to Catholicism or I think people have been converting somewhat to, to Anglicanism, which is sim- similar in some ways. Um, and just some of these places where there's like the liturgy and just the processes that you take to sort of cement your commitment. And not everyone likes that, but for some people, it really helps clarify things for them in their relationship with God. And I, I totally understand that. Um, so, Let's go back. Can I a speak little... to that poem? Oh, Can I speak sure. to that poem for one second, though, yeah. Erica, Because this is related to your work, and I know the work that you've done. I really like that the Catholic Church says it is your holy obligation to attend mass every Sunday, mm. because to me, it is my holy obligation to attend meetings for the rest of my life, and I don't have a choice, and I don't feel like it. I never want to go. I never feel like it, but I have to go because that's how I stay sane. And for me, I like, a, I respect the church says this is your obligation because as human beings, we want to do what feels good and what we're com- what what feels comfortable and what's convenient. <laughs> and church is almost it's almost never convenient, especially with four kids and sports. So oh, that's just yeah. another dimension. Like, whereas I think some people don't like that. For me, I would be at brunch in my fifth mimosa on Sunday morning were it not for the holy <laughs> obligation. <laughs> right, know? right, right. Well, that's yeah, that's a good point because. I'll tell you, I'm learning how to talk about this better. But, you know, when I first started talking about church and the importance of church in the lives of women, 
I got a lot of pushback. I still get a lot of pushback of people say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, which I, I know, you know, I know, I know what it means to be a Christian. Um, but there is so much, um, deeper and behind the reasons that we attend church, which again, as, as people like to point out to me, church is in a building. And I'm like, I know it's not a building, but the people are in a building. So you have to be there to meet with the people. And, and so, um, I don't know that there's a similar thing in sort of like the non-denominational, non-denominational or evangelical space, but I, I like it. I like that, that what you're saying, and it makes sense because it is like, like those rituals and things, it is a grounding. It is a place to come back to and to always be able to come back to. So I love that. Um, so I want to talk with you about the eating disorder. Um, I told you when we hopped on here that we have a lot in common and that I had an eating disorder for many, many years. Um, and, and you, I've heard you say like some of it, some of yours was binge eating and I, you know, that was a big part of mine too. Um, so tell me like, how did that develop in you? And then how did you like myself sort of transfer it onto alcohol later in life? Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I would say I just, my earliest memories are of just seeking, seeking comfort through excess food. I mean, I, as a young child, I mean, I, I'm a big person. So I think when I reflect on my story, like I was perhaps hungrier than other people and and nobody seemed to like be cool with that. Like, like, but I got a lot of feedback for the fact that I was a big eater young in life. And I look at my, even my children and some of them are big eaters and some are not. Um, but I, I just was always hungrier than there seemed to be enough food. Mm. And, and, um, and within, you know, maybe even middle school, I just was like a hiding and eating food and it was food for comfort. And I realized now it was, it was really a God-sized soul. I, God did build me as an extraordinarily sensitive human being. I am, I have sensitive skin. I have a sensitive heart. I have a bleeding heart. I feel pain of my own and I, the world and I'm suffering of the world. I'm, I'm very sensitive to. And I realized that even just going and self-conscious and nervous and, you know, all those things, but I can muscle through that uh, sometimes when I try to fill. And I did that for a long time. And then in high school, it was, just like like a binge starve pattern and then in co- it just got worse and worse and I was an athlete and all kinds of things uh got messed up there um and in college I realized that alcohol had almost the same effect of kind of numbing me out and almost pretty much making me black out but um it was a socially acceptable I got a lot of positive feedback from it. I actually got I mean I I was crazy it was funny I you know I did all kinds of weird stuff um so I felt like alcohol was like if I could catch the wave and start drinking, then I could kind of stave off the eating. And actually, when I came into my first food recovery program, I mean, this sounds crazy when I say it, but I really thought this was okay. I would be at home in my apartment trying not to binge and I would make myself a pitcher of gin and tonic. And I really thought that I could make, that was how I made it. That's how I made Mm -hmm. it. And I mean, in my mind, there's an expression in recovery, like you're just taking another seat on the Titanic, (laughs) you know? Right. Yeah. Totally. I get that. The, um, Hunger was very intertwined with, for me with alcohol, because it would be like, you know, getting to be dinner time and I didn't want to eat. Like, you know, is that whole, like, I, I don't want to eat. I know I have a thing about like, I don't want to eat too early, just, you know, weird rules. And, but I was like, well, if I had a drink, like, well, then I wasn't hungry, <laughs> you know? And so yeah. that I, I would never drink if I wasn't hungry or I didn't have an empty stomach. And so it was very um, parallel or related for me as well. Yeah, I think they're yeah, no, they're 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 it's just it's just pouring a lot of pouring a lot in. 
And I find that to, to me, ironically, I often ended up in the food, even if I went to alcohol too. But I had this belief that alcohol kept me away from the food. And then I also, mm-hmm. alcohol, I'm also, alcohol and food, I did damage to my body in both uh, areas there. Right. Um, but, and, but also, here's another thing I think you might be relate, relate to is that in recovery, I've given up a lot, you know, or things have been quote unquote taken from me. I live a life where I, I have almost, <laughs> no vices at this point. And I'm still, of course, I'm still always looking for a new one. And sometimes my phone is my vice, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm sober. I don't, I don't drink caffeine anymore. And that was a health issue. I mean, there's a lot of, I'm going to, if you're interested, I'll tell you, but, but my food is very simple and there's mm-hmm. not, there's nothing sexy left. And I have given up my right to recreational food. I mean, that's how I stay sane. And mm-hmm. so you're like, I got to give up alcohol too. I, I got to give up, I, you know, Yes, I did. <laughs> you know, I experienced many times enough that I, I need to give up that too. And so I think God reveals that to us. The number of women attending church has declined from 48% to just 31% in the past 10 years. When I heard this data, I was moved to understand who these women were, why this was happening, and how to remind them of the importance of faith community. I began to learn how many women want better relationships with God in the church, but feel barred by the tyranny of busyness, overwhelm, or a negative experience in the past. In my new book, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women, I dive into the meaning of the church, why it matters for women, why they are needed to make it complete. I spoke with countless women about their experiences leaving and returning to church and discussed my own stories of hurt and overcoming within faith community. From the damaging messages of purity culture to the sweet support I felt as I stopped drinking, I realized the church body is no perfect entity, but it is a place where God is present and has a place for you within it. You can pre-order my book, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women, right now on Amazon, ChristianBook.com, or Barnes noble.com how, how hard was it for you to quit drinking it was it was and still is somewhat easier than food because i don't have to drink three times a day moderately. right yeah you know what i mean so yeah. in, in that respect um it's interesting we're contemplating having a sober home because my husband recently stopped drinking for different reasons um and we have a teenager and we're sort of contemplating what that looks like when we have people over and all that kind of stuff but um i would to this day i'm much more tempted by food and alcohol on a regular basis. But when I'm in a social environment, it is hard not to drink. It is, it's still hard hmm. because I want to be part of, I want to, I don't want to stand out. I get real tired of standing out, you know, especially in a new environment. Right. Everybody, everybody assumes everybody drinks. Right? They do. They do. They do. And everybody does. I'm actually really interested in these sort of these like non-alcoholic spirits that are come in a wine bottle and like have herbs in them or something like to Yeah. Me, um, I have to explore whether that really works with my program and whether I'm just trying to get away with murder, but it's something which I can be a part of. And I have something a little special. And like my husband and I just had our anniversary and I said to the the person that came to the table, just give me something special. <laughs> give me something other than water special. Can of alcohol, can of sugar, but think of something, you know? Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, they, yeah, they just opened up an alcohol free liquor store here where I live. And I went to wow. it and I was super excited and I was talking to them and I bought some stuff and, you know, part of me, like it, I wanted to support them, but I'm kind of like, I don't necessarily need, I don't want to drink alcohol-free liquor. That's liquor never tasted good. You know, it was not really about that. Um, but I think it's cool that you're seeing it more and you're seeing like non-alcoholic bars open up and stuff like that. And, but one of the reasons for me too, I mean, there are many reasons why I stopped drinking, but one of them is I don't want really to have it in our house. Um, because of my kids, because there's so much addiction in our, both me and my husband's family, um, that I'm just like, this is the best thing I could do is to not drink in front of them or ever. I don't drink at all. And he doesn't drink often. And 
just be honest with them. Like even my son, and he's only six, but we've already kind of talked about what is, what is addiction and it it actually runs in our family and we have to be careful because of, you know, decisions that we make. And so I, I get a little scared sometimes because I know how embedded in like your DNA addiction can be. Um, but I'm doing the best I can and it's been a really positive change for me. So, um, so I'm, I'm right there with you. I haven't been going to meetings. I, I kind of like got, I go, have you heard of the luckiest club club? No, no. Okay. So that's where I sort of did my stuff. Um, have you heard of this naked mind? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like there's like people that are like in the AA world, like you're in the AA world and not as much on the online, um, recovery space, but I just started there. So anyway, so I used to go to meetings with them and now I haven't been going and I haven't felt like I needed to, but I'm like, it's always there if I feel like I need to go back. Sure. Um, but what, okay. So what through your recovery, um, like what are some of the takeaways? Like, I mean, I know that's a big <clears throat> question, but like looking back, getting through all of that, <clears throat> like what changed about your life and why are you glad that you did it? Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because I I feel like recovery is just so many peeling away of the layers of the onion. I'm, I'm botching that phrase, but but it's, um, you know, I when I was I, I, you know, it's been decades since I ate the way I ate when I was in 22, and of course there's seasons that I struggle more than you know, motherhood and pregnancy was very hard as a, as a former compulsive <laughs> overeater, bulimic, anorexic. But I, you know, I think that the still the biggest takeaways are in sobriety are in absence, which I is, you know, a term mm-hmm. I use for like abstaining from these wackadoodle behaviors, um, mm-hmm. eating like a normal person. So in that, that is actually for me was the original goal, but that is now the 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 goal now is improved relationships with that are the people in my life, um, in my marriage as a mother, as a professional, as I walk and interact with the world. And I found that the recovery that that the steps really guided me in relationship and and that i my sort of like the full extent of being an addict it's only one piece of it is is the input <laughs> you know mm-hmm. the and there's also like an intensity an intensity living black and white living in extremes you know there's all kinds of like dimensions of addict behavior that actually come out when you take away your stuff um so for me and and again this is not for everybody but for me i feel like there's a constant like revealing and there's some like long timer you know alcoholism books we could talk about that are just like, it's all about relationship. I mean, these mm-hmm. are for people in treatment for alcoholism, but it's, it's all about the humans that yes. we in. because I mean, people are hard. And I think that's one of the reasons people drink because people are hard mm-hmm. and people are easier after you've covered a couple of drinks and people are a lot easier when you can't even hear, or you're not as sensitive to what they're saying. <laughs> right. Like, right. Other not loving you the way you wish they would. And you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's totally true. It's never, it's always just the action that's, you know, rooted in something far deeper than that. And people is part of it. I mean, I think we were made for God made us for people, for community. Um, I always say that for Christians, like the church, the local church community is, you know, essentially like that's made to sort of uphold you there. But I have found so much encouragement and and stuff from the the luckiest club community, probably like you have from AA. And it's just like you know, what I love about it is that you just show up and it's like, literally, you don't, ha- you don't, there's no niceties. There's no getting to know you for a couple years. Like, it's like, I see my neighbor. I know very little about him. 
But like I, I go to these meetings and I know so much about a person in five minutes. They just let it all go. And you just feel all of a sudden that you like you have uh, permission to be vulnerable. And when you have that in this like safe space, um, that is so healing to you um, as a person. And so I always say like, I wish that church would be more like a recovery meeting. That is one of my goals is to make it more that way. I've been very open with my church about my struggles. Like I spoke in front of my church about giving up alcohol, mostly because I wanted to get up there and be like, this is me. Like, you're not alone, whatever it is that you're struggling with. Like, I think we need to be open about that, especially if we're like leaders of some kind in the church, because people might've looked at me. Like I was this girl who had written a book and they would, you know, my pastor would even like be like, Erica wrote, you know, another article in the wall street journal, which totally embarrassed me. But like, you know, maybe they looked at me and thought, well, she's got it together or whatever. And I was just like, no, I don't have it together. And I'm up in front of the church, like crying my eyes out. And that's because I want church to be, oh, whoops, I got my, somebody's calling me. That's because I want church to be more like that. And so I want people to open up more. I want it to be a place where it's like, it's safe. You can be who you are. You can just bring it all and lay it down. And that is sort of my message about how I think church needs to, needs to be. How do you feel about that? Do you agree? Uh, I, I totally agree. I mean, to me, it is like a meeting. It's not the same. I have to do both because, yeah. but I also feel like I don't always go to church for myself. Like, right. and I, I got that from recovery rooms. I don't, I go for, well, what if I don't go to this meeting and somebody who would, would really identify with my story is going to their first meeting and has like, that's actually that we, we go for someone else. And that's like, when you ask the profound takeaway, I wish I said that, that the fundamental principle of recovery is that we're not all crazy at the same time or the same season. Yeah. And that um, we're actually there to serve someone else. When If we all are there to serve someone else, we all get served. And I think mm-hmm. Christian communities could operate much better if we all thought about, instead of going to church or going to mass, wanting to be edified and inspired and, and entertained or whatever you're going for, filled, mm-hmm. to actually go and be just be counted and be part of, of the yeah. community yeah. Um, yeah. and go to show up because it's nice to be in a full church. <laughs> right. You know? And and it's like, you just don't know what's waiting for you there. I mean, I think God works so powerfully in the church community, like in a way that he doesn't outside of it. And I just, you don't know who's going to be there and who's going to need to talk to you and who's going to need your story that day. I mean, and, and in terms of meetings, like I know there have been days where I've shown up to a meeting and walked away being like, oh my gosh, that was so profound. That was so deep. That was so beautiful. And it's just like randomly, a random Thursday at noon. And like, what just happened to me in the middle of the day? And it's just, if you don't seek that out though, you're not going to have it. And you don't even realize what you're missing. And so I'm like, yeah, not that I want you to become an alcoholic and need to go to AA meetings, but like find it somewhere because you become a better person for it and you can heal from other things more quickly as well. Um, Okay. Before we totally run out of time. Um, talk to me. I just lost the screen. Where did it go? Talk to me about your book. I have it right here. Revived and renovated real life conversations on the intersection of home faith and everything in between. Um, I loved looking through the chapters because, um, I always, I always use like garden, like analogies because it's so easy, but I was like, but this is like a better or like a different way to do the analogies. Like every chapter is like revived, renovated, restored, reclaimed. And um, I love that idea. So tell us about the book and why you wrote it. 
So I met this wonderful woman, Victoria Durstock, um, a couple of years ago, and she was the first person that had written like a book that had the intersection or had the combination of the topic of the home and faith. And it blew my mind. She wrote a devotional called Heart and Home, and it's a devotional using scripture to talk about. I was like, this is wow, this is incredible. And so we met and developed a friendship. <clears throat> and I told her my story a little bit. And she talked, she said something like, isn't it incredible? Like how what we do in our homes or what we endeavor to, to renever, renovate or, or, you know, make new in our homes is like what God's done to you and to all of us, but to you in particular, Paige, because I was, you know, really not headed for, for greatness um, or for utility. And I feel like God totally remade me. And so I said, yeah. And she said, let's make a book out of it. And so we, during COVID, we actually had these, we made an IGTV series and where we had these conversations, we picked um, a word that had a duality in um, the home and in the walk of faith. And like mm -hmm. recovery is one of the best words. It's the last chapter, but I love to recover things with fabric. I, I think recovering something is like, it's a, the gateway drug of DIY because all you need is a staple gun and a fabric remnant. <laughs> um, it's awesome. And um and then, of course, it has this duality with my recovery, too. And and I guess I don't know why the Lord has just blessed me with like an, just like a desire to share it or like I'm not embarrassed or and I also got in front of my church and, show, and they asked me to tell my conversion story. I'm like, well, you got to hear about all that the food and booze. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all like, it's all in yeah. there. There was some I priest said something like, 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 like it's been a tool of my salvation. Like I've thought about it as a huge cross, but it's actually a, a tool of my salvation. And I also go to Overeaters Anonymous. I want to just have full mm -hmm. disclosure that um, I need both. And you were talking a little bit earlier about just being around people that get you. And, I, you know, I need to, there's something very healing about, pe about people who understand your personal struggle. Yeah. I mm -hmm. feel like a lot of people don't understand binge eating. Um, I'm sure that you do. Um, but, it, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's even hard to explain. I've tried to explain it to people and they just don't get it. Um, and so, yeah, I've been to Overeaters Anonymous as well in the past. And it's just really something just like a soft place to fall when you can just kind of say one thing and people get it. Yeah. And like, it's not everybody does that with food, you know, but there, but there's also like something where we can, we can have something better than to have food take up too much space in our lives. And so to me, there's just, oh my gosh, a grace. And I think the God, I think God really has a bigger plan, especially for women than to have food and alcohol, but food to take such a big place, whether mm -hmm. you're eating it or not eating it, whether your body is this way or that way, but to have, I think we're kind of taken away from the full use of our gifts and talents when mm -hmm. we're dieting on the scale so bummed about the way our legs look in pants. <laughs> like yeah. the Lord's like, I have plans for you. We got, we got to get your eyes off the pants. You have know? you read the book, um, Appetites by Caroline Knapp? No, no. You okay. bring up so many things I haven't heard of. You've got to read it. It's like, I've probably read it five times and, and then she has one called drinking a love story. So I, and she's a, just an amazing writer. I mean, just, you should get both of those books. And okay. then unfortunately okay. she died of lung cancer. So she, oh. she was only like 42. Um, but I, you know, I know appetites was such a like profound book for me and, and it reminds me of what you're saying. So highly recommend you get it. You will totally relate to it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, great, great, great suggestion. Um, so I usually end by just asking people, do you have any, um, recommendations or, um, things you've been reading that you can highlight for us? Yeah. So, okay. I'm just going to go with what popped into my mind, Yeah, which is that, um, I did the Bible in the year podcast, um, which is with Tara Lee Cobble, which not with father Mike Schmidt. So oh, it okay. is a Catholic priest that leads it. But um, I do think he structures it in a way that it really is for anyone interested in scripture and especially for novices. Mm. So Victoria, when we were writing Revived and Renovated, Victoria would like like just 
con- she'd pull scripture out of every, I mean, all the time. And I really was like jealous of this command, yeah. of these appropriate scriptures. So I did the Bible in your podcast and the Bible has so much to say about addiction. It has so much to say about appetites. There's so mm-hmm. much to say about food, so much to say about the way the Lord wants to feed us. And so I, I can't say enough about diving in and really seeing yourself in scripture um, was a huge gift to my recovery, let alone my my Christian faith. Uh, yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned that podcast. I actually wrote an article last year um, uh, for Christianity Today about um, how that podcast was the number one downloaded podcast on all of iTunes on January 1st. Yes. So no, we were no, just kind of talking too. about how how uh, the rise of Bible apps has gone up and like, that's great news, right? <laughs> it is good. It is the proverbial good news. No. And I just, I did not anticipate that I would be seeing so much of myself. I mean, Mark 5 to me is an addiction it's a story of addiction and I meditated on all. Okay. You know I'm going mean? to go read it as soon as okay. we hang up. <laughs> Mark five, everybody. Um, anything else? Any books, anything? No, just, no, I think that's, I mean, I'm drawing a blank that's right now. I, mean, I, I, will cool. say, I will say just on the home topic, Sally Clarkson, um, Life Giving Home is, mm-hmm. is my, my home Bible. Um, even though I'm a designer and I love aesthetic, like to me, the culture of home, she really nails it. Um, oh, cool. Okay. I hadn't heard of that, but I, I know who she is. So that's great. Um, Okay, Paige, it was so great to meet you. So great to hear your story. And I hope that it encourages people today, just knowing that they can get through all the stuff. Like there's so much that you went through and overcame and now here you are. And I think that gives a lot of hope. So thank you so much for joining us. And oh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to see more of your work? I spend way too much time on Instagram. So they're they're welcome to find me at Paige Ryan there. And I like to do put the mess in stories and anyway, do some rants on my feed. But anyway, yeah. I'd love to hear from people. Any questions, I'm an open book. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.